Um, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much uh, for this time of worship. I just feel like it was, it was such a sweet time, Lord. So many people are away, and it's, it feels different in here, Lord, but it still feels so sweet to be in your presence. It feels so sweet to, um, to be able to worship you and just put our focus on you and, and just come and realign our thoughts and realign our hearts onto the King of Kings because you are worth it. And Lord, we know that so many times we forget, we stray in our thoughts, but we thank you that you are faithful and just. And when we leave, when we let go, you always hold on. Thank you for that, my King. Amen. Amen. So for the next four weeks, while it's um, student holidays and school holidays, by the way, we've got a couple of outreaches at the moment, people abroad. I think there's a few people in the United States at the moment. I'm not sure if the Malawi team has left, but... The Netherlands has left. Um, there's a couple of people in the Netherlands. There's a Malawi team going out. There's a KZN team going out. So there's teams going all over the country and all over the world. So it's an exciting time. So although not everyone is here, some people are with their families and some people are um, on mission trips. So it's, it really is exciting, but it's a privilege to gather like this. And my guess is that this group, more or less, most of you will be there for the year for the next four weeks. Some of you might leave at different times. But uh, we decided to look at a, a book in the Bible for the next four weeks, and that is the book of Colossians. It's one of the early epistles of Paul. Um, so when you open up your Bible, uh, just after the Gospels, you'll find it soon after the Gospels. And so we're going to teach into it. Uh, we're not going to go through it verse by verse. That's, that'll take four years and not four weeks if we go verse by verse. But what we want to try and do it's just take out a few chunks, a few of the main messages of the book and say, God, what do you want to say to us during this time? Besides looking at the book of Colossians, one of the, the things that I have on my heart and that we have on our hearts is actually that this would inspire us to get into the scriptures a little bit more than we are. And I think that's always a good thing. So when we look at this book and when there are things that we learn from here, take it into other books in the Bible that you read and apply it in the same way. Okay, so it's not something we always do. We always try and say, God, what are you trying to say? But I do think that this is something for us for the next couple of weeks. And so uh, with Colossians today, my message is going to be there at the bottom. You'll see it's guarding against self-made religion, which I'll get to in a moment. But I want to tell you a story quickly of a guy called Martin Luther. Anyone ever heard that name? A bunch of you have heard of it. So this guy lived in the 1500s. He is the person responsible for the fact that we are not all part of the Catholic Church anymore, but, but he is the father of the Protestant movement, what we will call it. Now, the Protestant movement comes from the word protest. So what happened was initially, uh, not initially, but, but throughout the, the, the 1500s and before, for a couple of hundred years before, the pre predominant church in the world was the Catholic Church. Catholic just means common, alchemian. It was, it was the main church denomination that most people were part of. And unfortunately, as many times happens with denominations, when we start moving away from the Word of God and start relying more and more on traditions, we move away from what God intended Christianity to be. And so the Catholic Church started moving away to, to places where they shouldn't have been. It was not all about Christ anymore. It was Christ plus a bunch of other things. It was Christ plus a bit of money that you pay, and then your grandparents might go to heaven if you pay enough. It's things that actually happen. It was Christ plus certain prayers that you say every day, and that might get you a better spot in heaven. 
It was Christ plus a specific person that you need to go to and repent of your sins because then your sins will be forgiven. So it was a religion more and more starting to become a religion of Christ plus other things. And that's not true Christianity. Moved away from that. And there was a guy who was a monk uh, called Martin Luther. His story is fascinating if you ever go read it. He definitely missed a bunch of things, but there's some things that he got right. Tell you, for instance, he did not believe, he believed in infant baptism, and so, um, and he was part of, of the drowning of people who believed in, in adult baptism, in believer's baptism. So there's a bunch of things that he missed. He was not perfect. Uh, for instance, he was cool with people being killed because they wanted to be baptized, which is not cool. But besides that, you know, there's a bunch of other things I can, I can, I can say where I think he missed it a little bit. But, but sometimes what happens is because we are so indoctrinated by the culture around us and the teaching around us, God opened up his eyes to one thing, and maybe if he was alive longer, he would have seen more truths, but God actually came, and he gave him a major revelation, and God came to him, and before he had this revelation, this is the life that he lived. He, he, He wanted to please God, so he tried everything, but what he was taught was Christ plus other things is how you please God. That was what he was taught through the Roman Catholic Church, so what he would do is he would fast for days at end. And he would be tormented by demons and depression. We read about him experiencing these severe bouts of depression. And he would try and beat his body into submission. He would not eat. He would have extended times of reading and of praying. So he, he was very strict with his own body. But, but it was Christ plus these other things trying to get to a point of knowing Jesus better. And one day, his eyes opened up. And he saw in the scriptures that actually coming into a relationship with God is Christ alone. It's not Christ plus anything. And it was a major revelation for him. I am saved by faith alone. And the other things flow from that, but it doesn't. Those things are not added to me to give me salvation. It was a major thing. So what he went to do is he, he wrote a thesis with a bunch of points. And he, he went and he put it against one of the churches, the main church. He put it against their door. And it was not a way of, for him as officially protesting. He wanted to put that up for debate, saying, hey, guys, you missed it. Like, we've made it Christ plus other things, and that's not what the Bible says. And the common person did not have a normal Bible to read because the Bible were, the Bibles that time was in Latin. The guy would preach in Latin, so the common person did not understand. And he wanted people to understand. And out of that, the Roman Catholic Church pushed against it. They weren't for it. And the Protestant movement was born, and basically a war broke out. And today, we have broken away from that, but we've come to the knowledge, through God revealing it to one person, that Christ plus other things is not the way to go. It's it's faith alone in Jesus Christ that is actually... um, That is actually the way to go. And we cannot add to our Christianity, then we miss it. So then we get to the book of Colossians. And I'm going to read a couple of portions, but I want to sort of give you an understanding of what happened in the book of Colossians. And the story will make sense in a moment because when you go read up on the the church in Colossae, I tried, I, I typed in Google, pronounce Colossae. And pronounce another word later. This is some difficult words as I was researching just the book of Colossians and, uh, and just trying to figure out why was what is written in the book, why was it written. And something that is prevalent in this book is what they call the Colossian heresy. Now, the Colossian heresy is basically this. 
These people, initially, when they received the word of God, which was not through Paul, it was another person who came to salvation through the preaching of Paul, he went to this town called Colossae, Colossae, and he preached the gospel there, and people started getting saved, and a church was birthed. He was a normal person. And then he was in contact with Paul, and Paul wrote this letter, never, being, never going to this church. That's why you'll find it's, it's a bit of a toned-down book. You know, Paul can be quite in your face, right? He can be like, hey, you are wrong here, and you are right here. But with this book, he's like, I don't know, you guys will come in soft, okay? So he's coming in soft. But he, he gets these reports, and, um, and what happens is Paul realizes that these people started like Martin Luther ended. They started with Christ alone, but because of these external surroundings and because of not having their revelation that it's only by Christ that we live, they started adding other things to their Christianity. The technical word for this is syncretism meaning I try and synchronize my Christianity with a bunch of other beliefs to make it work. Many of you would have heard about this. Probably one of the, uh, the, the most close-to-home thing that you would have heard of is um, I've had a lot of conversations with Godfrey back there. And in, um, in, with, with many people from African cultures, this is the thing that happens. There's ancestral worship. You break free from your ancestral worship. You come into Christianity, but because of not having an understanding that it's not Christ plus something else, people fall into the same thing that the Colossians fell into, the Colossian heresy, and that is syncretism. I try and synchronize my Christianity with ancestral worship. And that's an obvious thing, and uh, we need to break free from that, and we've had major conversations with Godfrey, him having frustrations even with his family, who are Christians, but can't break free from that. So the Colossian church started doing that. We, we read through the book, we, we start getting an understanding that what Paul was trying to do is he was trying to elevate Christ and saying, Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He is above every other thing. You do not need anything else. Stop trying to mix and make your own self-made religion is the message of Paul in this book. He tries to get them away from it. And I want to say to you, just in reading... I read, I read someone saying that, I can't even remember who, I read a bunch of resources, but the guy said, the book of Colossians is as up-to-date as tomorrow's newspaper. Meaning, it was written 2,000 years ago, and we see people mixing in other things with their Christianity, basically making up their own religion, their own Christianity, but this guy is saying it's still happening today. And it's happening in us, maybe in more subtle ways. And I want to go and look at some of the ways that they incorporated other beliefs into their Christianity, which was an error, and they strayed from the truth of Christ alone. And I want to say that I think if we dig a little bit, I think some of those things are in us as well. Or we need to be careful that some of those things come in us. We want a pure Christianity. But we are surrounded by so many other things, so many things from our past before coming to salvation. So many preachers out there. If you switch on YouTube and you type in anything, you'll find a preacher saying exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> Have you thought about that? <laughs> People even use the Bible, and it's so confusing out there. How do we stay with Christ alone? You know, even the devil, he tried to get Jesus off of the way. What did he do? He used the Bible. He quoted scriptures out of context to Jesus. And what Jesus did is he quoted scriptures in context back to, to the devil. 
And so we are in a confused world, not only voices from inside the church, but voices from outside the church that sound so good, we'll get to some of them, that they almost sound Christian and we incorporate them into our Christianity, and that is not standing on Christ alone. So yes, it's an old book, but it's very much as up-to-date as tomorrow's newspaper, which I'm hoping that we'll see in a moment. So, you know, I've always found it interesting when people teach on books, I'm like, how do you know what the issues were there? (laughs) And you know, one of the ways before I'm going to read out of Colossians 2, verse 16 to 18, and then verse 23, so you can get that ready so long. One of the ways that we know what the issues were is you need to sort of read between the lines. So when you look at the book in the Bible, this is a response. So there was a report that came to Paul. He heard of some of the issues through Epaphras, who, wrote, who, who, who planted the church there. And then Paul is responding now. So in, in one sense, it's like hearing one side of a telephone call. Have you ever heard that? Add that? And sometimes that can be a little bit confusing, all right? Stand next to someone and you just hear their side of the call and you can't hear the other side. My mother-in-law, that's not an issue because she believes the G5 is going to go into her brain. So she always puts on, she calls it G5, <laughs> 5G. <laughs> she always puts her speakerphone on. <laughs> When she speaks, she doesn't want it to affect her brain. (laughs) You laugh. (laughs) So with her, that's not an issue. But with other people, if you put the phone against your ear, and I listen to just half of the conversation, I can get a reasonably good understanding of what that conversation is about. Hey? But I need to read between the lines. And I need to listen to the context of what you're saying. So what we do is when we read this letter... We're not hearing the report that came, we're only hearing the response to the report, and then we read between the lines and we see some of the issues. And when we do that, I'm going to look at some of the ways they try to synchronize Christianity with other things, because we pick it up in Paul's response. You're still with me? It's a different way of teaching, but I think it's going to be helpful for us. So let me read it to us, Colossians 2, verse 16 to 18. It says, now... As I'm reading this, read between the lines. I'm going to get to chapter 1 now, but we're actually starting in chapter 2 because here we start picking up what the issues are. So try and read between the lines. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. That was one I looked for as well. I thought it was asceticism, so my bad. Asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. Verse 23. Have you got it there? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting what? Self-made religion. This is a scary thought if we think there's Christianity, and then if we're not careful, we can go into Christianity plus. We can make a self-made Christianity, a self-made religion. Promoting self-made religion and asceticism and, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You want to grow in God? You want to stop sinning? He's saying self-made religion is not the answer. If you mix something into your Christianity... You miss what Christianity is all about. You miss it. Saying, um, Andrew had this thing a while ago that he used in his example. If if you've got a a glass of clean water, 
and a fly goes and it sits in that water, then the only thing for most people that's, that that water is good for is to throw out. <laughs> I'm not going to have it because there's something in there that should not be in there. And in the same way, there's the pure, unadulterated gospel. There is the pure Christianity of the Bible. And sometimes when a fly comes and sits in there, and we all think we're above that, I'm telling you we are not above it. It's easy for other things to creep into our Christianity. Then that thing is not the pure in its pure form and what it was meant to be. I can't enjoy it. It cannot nourish my soul. It cannot quench my thirst. So open your heart. I'm hoping there might be things that we can associate with them. So I've lifted out three. I think there's more. Three issues in them that might be three issues in us as well. And all of these things is Christ plus something else or Christianity plus something else. The first one that we see there and I'm going to read you the scriptures as well, just to show you where I got this. It is um, Christ plus philosophy. Okay? Christ plus philosophy. Colossians 2 verse 8. It's, it's quite hectic, these girls. Are you all okay? <laughs> See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Just pause here. He's writing to a Christian church. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's not necessarily even writing to new believers. He's writing to an established church saying, do not, and he, he won't just say this for the sake of saying it. He's saying it because this has happened. And if this is up to date, then it's probably happening in us as well. Philosophy creeps into our Christianity. Captive by philosophy and empty deceit and not according to Christ. Colossians 2 verse 18. It's a little bit different, but it comes down to the same thing. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on, and then I've just jumped forward. Um, nice, thank you. He edited a little bit for me just to, because I just wanted to make sense. Worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. What I'd like to say is, the first one, Colossians 2 verse 8, is maybe worldly philosophy. He's making it quite clear. Do not be held captive by philosophy. But this one for me is almost like Christian philosophy. I've been to churches where someone stands up and is like, I had a vision about this. And they wax eloquent about the visions and the revelations that God gave them. And I'm just not always sure whether it's actually scriptural. <laughs> like, yes, it's good that you died and you went to heaven or you went to hell. But like, that's not the Bible. <laughs> I can use it. Maybe God speaks to me somehow through it. But if it goes outside of the bounds of the Bible, then I'm like, good, have your experience. But that for me falls in the category of philosophy and not the category of what is orthodox Christianity. And sometimes those things can be so enticing. There's the newest book or the latest revelation that a teacher had because they prayed and they went into the eighth heaven. I don't even know how many heavens there are. Paul went into the third heaven or something. This guy went into the eighth heaven and he saw things that no mind has ever seen. And we can so quickly fall into the trap of being enticed by those things. There's a saying, nothing new is true, and nothing true is new. <laughs> Be careful of people who come with these new philosophies, new ways of Christianity. We don't want the new form of Christianity. We're not moving forward. We're moving backwards. We want to go back to the Bible. <laughs> like, I want to live like the old Christians, not like the new Christians. Mostly I say, I want to read the old books and not the new books, because the new books are dodgy many times. I want to go back to the old way. I want to, that, those things that I see in the Bible, that's what I want. 
but people want something new, something fresh, something exciting. And so we fall into philosophy. I'm going to mention a couple of names that I think these people influence the church today a little bit more than they're supposed to. And I watch these people because I find some of their things interesting. Um, uh, but I know that we should do it so cautiously. And I actually want to say to you, a lot, of it, a lot of the reasons I watch is I want to see what they are saying because I know that these philosophies come into the church. I'll mention one name. He's not really a Christian. He might be. He's trying to be. There's a man called Jordan Peterson. Anyone know Jordan Peterson? A bunch of you know Jordan Peterson. <laughs> He's trying to be a Christian. There's a lot of good things that he says. The other day I listened to something of his on parenting, which is phenomenal. He's probably one of the cleverest people that I know. He's one of the bravest people that I know as well, because he stood up for, I think, what's right, and he got in massive trouble for it, but kudos to him, he, he, um, he, he got very far. But what he says sounds very much close to Christianity, but it is not completely Christianity. It comes close, but many times that's how deceit comes in. I start following a man more than I start following Christ. We say, no, I'll never do that, but where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? Where do you get your thoughts from? Is it being shaped and fashioned and formed by Jesus and the scriptures or by people who philosophize? Now, philosophy for me is something where I think up ideas based on what I see around me, based on analytics and based on science. But for me, all of those things are so frail because where, where do you land it in a sense? It all comes down to opinion for me. Some of it is a good opinion, but it all comes down to opinion. The Bible is the only place we can say that I can stand on. That's unchanging. It's immovable. It's objective and everything else is subjective. You know, what's the, the, you know the difference between something that's subjective and objective? I'll explain for the people from Bloemfontein just quickly. <laughs> so, <laughs> if something is subjective, it's a subjective reality, it is subject to your emotions and subject to your thinking. So it will go up and down. One day I'll feel like this, the other day I'll feel like that, or the one day I'll read someone else's opinion which will change my opinion. An objective reality is something that is objective. It's an object standing separate, and, and, and it's immovable. It's not swayed by emotion or opinion. It is steadfast. The Word of God is steadfast. And our Christianity should be built on that and not about the opinions, especially outside the church, and we should even be careful within the church. Because Paul says, in the last days, people will gather around themselves teachers who say what their itchy ears want to hear. Oh, we should be careful, even within the church. One of the most Google names at the moment is a guy called Andrew Tate. I think he's influencing the church. You're laughing now. <laughs> Some of you don't know these names. It's really okay if you don't. He's influencing the church much more than he should. And I think what Christians long for is many Christian men long for a sense of masculinity because when I come to church, sometimes church can be way too feminine. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Guys sometimes struggle to be in touch with their emotions and now I need to stand and worship and be like, Jesus, I love you, <laughs> and cry. And it's actually good we guys need to get to that point, but it's difficult. And something of like the masculine side of Christianity, I think gets lost. I think guys need to have Guts, <laughs> trying to look for a better word there. 
need to stand up for what's right, need to be leaders first of themselves, then of their families, need to take responsibility, and those things don't get preached about, and so people reach out to other places to try and find out what masculinity is about, and if that comes into your understanding of Jesus, you are missing it completely. So a couple of good things that that guy says, there's a couple of very bad things that he says, that he's saying. His view of masculinity is utterly worldly, utterly worldly. Within the church, there's a bunch of people, and you might get offended if I name them, so I might accidentally name one now. (laughs) But what can happen is people can use the guise of Christianity for something to sound Christian, but it's actually about philosophy and about self-help and about becoming a better person. It's not about becoming more like Christ and Christ being formed in us. I don't even know. The Bible actually does mention people by name. It's something we we should actually do in church. I'll mention the most obvious one that most of you won't be offended at. A person like Joel Osteen, one of the biggest churches in America. It all looks lovely. He's got the best smile on earth. I don't know where he bought it, but it looks good. (laughs) And he preaches eloquently, but a lot of it is not about Jesus and laying your life down for Jesus. It's sort of the flip side. Jesus is laying his life down for you. Not you are there to make his name great. It's like Jesus is there to make your name great. Subtly, if you look into it, and those things are philosophies of the world that creep either from outside the church or within the church, and we mix it with our Christianity. I want to say, be so careful. We'll speak about this later, but I really want to encourage you actually to be extremely careful of the things that you watch on YouTube, the people that you follow online, the people that you give yourself to, Just because someone has a big following does not mean that they are the people who God wants you to follow. Satan has a massive following. (laughs) Probably a bigger following than Jesus. Doesn't mean we should follow him. The amount of followers someone has is not indicative of whether they are someone we can actually follow. And I want to actually encourage you. Like, my theology is not perfect. Very close, but not there. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm joking. My theology is not perfect. Josh Chen is not the perfect church. We do have our flaws. But you know what the one difference is between me and some other preachers? I know you. I care for you. I some, say something, and you can come and ask me a question about it. I say something, I bear responsibility for what I say because I see the effect of that on your life. God has made me a shepherd of you. YouTube is not your shepherd. The people on there, the philosophers, Christian or not, are not your shepherds. God has made us your shepherds if you've given yourself here. I'm not saying we don't have our mistakes. I'm not saying we we won't miss it sometimes. We will. But be so careful where you give yourself. Are you following me? (laughs) All right. I want to mention a bunch of other things. If you... If you think of the the sexuality agendas in the world at the moment and how that's creeping into the church, better believe it's coming from more and more churches. I don't know. uh, um, Let me say, yeah. Um, (laughs) We... (laughs) Just think, how much pastoral work do I want on the holiday? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's fewer people, so I can say more challenging things. 
Listen, let me firstly say this. People who are confused about their sexuality, God cares. Like God cares. We should care. We should be there. I'm not saying any of these things. But you know what the main thing is? Is these things are coming into mainline denominations at the moment. Big denominations are starting to sway on their views of sexuality. What is a man? What is a woman? How do these roles play out? God has made us different so that we can be together. And that is beautiful. The moment one tries to be like the other, we miss the design of God as he has created it to be. And you know an interesting thing? Every church that has shifted on that, on, on the role of men and women, the first thing, every church, basically, if you look at some research that's done, first shifted on women being elders. And then the shift went further. We've got that uh, two students in Porchefstroom at the moment hoping we can potentially plant a church there. I, I know they there are other good churches there, I'm not saying that, but there's a need in this. People say there are so many churches around. I'm like, yes, but how many healthy churches are there around? Or churches aiming for health and doing it according to the Bible's way. They struggle to find a church. One of the big reasons is they've been taught, and you can come and ask me about this afterwards, that we believe in male elders. Women can minister. Women are integral to the life of this church, but we believe the Bible teaches we would have done it another way. Henry and I joked the other day, if we want to double this church now, we'll make women elders. We've got phenomenal women here. <laughs> women who would be better elders than most of us. But I look at the Bible, I'm like, but God teaches me otherwise. Who am I to argue? And one of the reasons they couldn't find a church there is they go in and they say, all these, all these churches have women pastors. And we just don't see it in the Bible. We struggle. So these agendas, these things are coming, and I want to say, be careful, people. The way you kill a rat is not by giving it poison. It's by giving it 95% good stuff and 5% bad stuff. The way the devil will try and come into you, into your life, he won't necessarily come from the outside, although he's using outside voices now. He's going to come from inside the church, giving you things that you want to hear, that seem good to you, that fit in with the culture around you. But when the culture is going one way, let me tell you, mostly run the other way, because the devil uses the culture. The devil, if he's going to get you, he's going to give you 95% truth and 5% lie. That's how deception works. It's a gradual process. If I wobble you, please come speak afterwards. Second one, I'm hoping this is helpful. Second one, um, where are we now? That the Colossian church fell into is Christ plus Human traditions. Man, this is one that we do. I'll show you now. This is one that we mix in with our Christianity a lot. Colossians um, 2 verse 8 again. But I just highlighted a different part. See to it that no one takes you captive by human tradition. Meaning you can be taken captive away from your Christianity. Something bad can be put into your, your Christianity that is not according to Christ, and that is human tradition. Now, let me say I like tradition. The school that I was part of is very much traditional. You wore your blazer every day. You, when you came into the school, there were these amazing traditions. You, there was a little gate, and if you come in as a standard six or grade eight, you are not allowed to wear your blazer until you go through orientation. Then you go through orientation. You stand on the terraces. You sing your school anthem to the school, and then when you leave in matric, you go through the other side of the gate, the school sings it back to you. It's these beautiful things. Traditions in themselves are not bad, but when mixed with our Christianity, they can be very dangerous. 
human traditions can be very dangerous. And I want to say we are to be extremely careful. Let me go on a little bit more. Colossians 2 verse 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgments on you in questions of food and drink. Traditions. Yeah, this is mostly Jewish tradition because a lot of them were Jews before becoming Christians and they took their old traditions, brought it into Christianity. All with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, all traditional things. They are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The most obvious one, um, some people make a hybrid Christianity called the Jewish Roots Movement at the moment. I've spoken to some people with their parents who come out of it, or maybe came out of it themselves, some of them sitting here. It's a hybrid Christianity. There's Christ alone, but then I want to take some of the, the Mosaic law and some of the, 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 the cultures and the traditions from the Jews, and I want to mix it into Christianity. But the Bible makes so clear, those things are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And in the same way they try to mix Judaism into their Christianity, the same way many times we mix in our old cultures with our, our current culture today. And the problem is then your Christianity becomes cultural and not relational. We need a relational Christianity and not a cultural Christianity. Today, 79% of South Africans, or years ago when they did this last study, 79% of South Africans call themselves Christians. Do you think that's a truth or a lie? <laughs> I don't think that's the truth, but people say that. What are they? They are traditional Christians, nominal Christians. They serve God out of tradition and not out of relationship. And in the same way, we can fall into that thing so quickly. If you grew up in a Christian home, I want to say praise God and shudder at the same time. <laughs> because much of what you would have learned, if you didn't let it come in and become part of your relationship with God, it can so quickly just be tradition that you hold to. Why do you go to church? Because we should go to church. Yes, you should, but why do you go to church? If you haven't internalized these values, if you haven't understood why you do these things, and you do it because you are in a relationship with God, but you've only fallen into habit, you're going to miss out what God has for you. Because we went to church as children. Yes, okay, cool. But at some point, that tradition needs to become in you. You need to do it because you need to be with the people of God. You want to have fellowship. You want to worship because worship in community is different than worshiping alone. You want to be taught the Word of God. You want to be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus. If those things are not what comes to mind when thinking about coming to church, then maybe you've fallen into churchianity. And I want to say churchianity is not the way. Christianity is the way. Do I believe in church? 110%. But church in its rightful place, not as a dead tradition. I had a chat with people the other day that had a few gripes with Josh Jen and the way that we do things. And I'm like, I've got my own gripes, don't worry. <laughs> I know we've got issues. But I said to them, do me a favor, when last have you visited another more traditional church? No, we can't remember, years ago. I'm like, just go, please, and you'll stop having issues. <laughs> Walk into a church where the life of God is not there, then go see what can happen if we let this mix in too much. Some of you, this is wobbling you. How can I speak about a church like this? Jesus spoke about churches. Jesus said, I stand outside of some churches knocking. I want to be in there, but I'm not in there. Jesus said that. 
Meaning it's possible to have a church, have a building, have a meeting, but Jesus is not there with you. Go see, and we cannot afford to have that mixed into our Christianity. Pray, why do we pray? Because it's a good thing, because I sang a song when I was a child. Well, that's good, but why? Internalize it, do it for the right reasons, not because it's culture. Why do I read my Bible? Because I want more knowledge. No, that's not it. Because it's the right thing to do, because I feel closer to God than... Like, that's, oh, that's not it. If you're doing it to tick the boxes, don't stop doing it. But, but first, look at your heart. Make sure that it's not empty tradition that we're falling back into. Good morals. I've said to some of you, some people here when I've had coffee with them, I said, you know what the problem is with you? But some amazing people. I remember having this chat with, with Skulk Willem when he just got here. I said, you are such a good person. If Jesus wasn't in your life, you'd just be as good as you are now. <laughs> you'd be just as good. He took it well. <laughs> I said, like, the way that you live, you are just, your morals are so impeccable that you don't actually need Jesus. You'll just be a good person. And I challenged him. I said, but, but what if Jesus is taken away? What would change? How are you living because Jesus is in your life and not because you're a good person? Like so much of our goodness is just because it's the way that we've grown up. How much of it is because I love God and I want to shine His light to the world? Let those things come in. Final one. Um, for the Colossian church, they, they fell into Christ plus asceticism. I think I'm saying it right. Asceticism. <laughs> Sounds very, I sound very clever when I say that, right? <laughs> I looked up the definition. It says, asceticism is severe self-discipline and avoiding of all forms of indulgence, typically for religious reasons. So it's when I withhold pleasure from myself. Let me just say, firstly, it, this is very difficult. I'll tell you a personal story. A while ago, I wasn't planning on telling this. A while ago, I had children. And then I started, started making dad jokes, firstly. It just happens. It's like the anointing rests upon you. <laughs> and secondly, I got a dad bod. No jokes. My belly, don't, Estefan, don't shake your head. Don't pretend. <laughs> He's like, yes. <laughs> but my belly started growing because I stopped exercising. I got, I got a legit dad bod. My, I looked at some photos, and I'm just sitting like this, and I'm like, oh, my. <laughs> what happened there? I've got like a massive belly, and I, I was always... Up until I was about 22, 23, I weighed 64 kilograms. I could not go up and down. I was 64 kilograms always. And so this for me is a new thing. I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here? It's more grip for Carla when she's walking with me to hold on to here. <laughs> it was just a little bit more of me. <laughs> and <laughs> why am I saying this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> and a while ago... <laughs> I started doing these exercise classes. The priest will tell you all about it. But I started doing <laughs> these exercise classes. I'm like, oh, yes, I'm starting to feel a bit better. I want to kickstart the process, do it. And I'm like, you know, a, a better body. Not that all of it is about a better body. It's, you know, but I'm trying to. Anyway, my cholesterol was also not in a good space and stuff like that. <laughs> it was bad. So I, I needed to do it for, like, health reasons, not to look better. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I'm like, okay, cool. A good body is made in the kitchen, not in the gym. Someone told me that. So I'm like, okay, cool, in the kitchen, in the kitchen. 
So I told my wife, listen, for a month, let's not eat any sugar. Then we built it our house and we went to live with her mom and every single evening she brings pudding. And like, you can only say no that long. I mean, a man's self will is only that big, right? <laughs> and I said no. And the problem is now I'm eating more sugar and chocolate than I have ever before because I'm trying not to do it. <laughs> Have you ever seen that? That sometimes when you do try and do something out of your own strength, it's like the opposite happens. Don't walk on the grass. Why not? <laughs> uh, something in you wants to do it when you try and not do it. I think so. I'll, I'll look into it, but I actually think maybe God that, that put that in us so that we know that we can't do it in ourselves. We need His power for self-discipline even. So let me... So asceticism is when I try and withhold from myself pleasures for religious purposes. I think if I withhold this from, from sorry, it's my little girl. <laughs> if I withhold this, then I can be closer to God. So Colossians 2 verse 18. Uh, a, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. Colossians 2 verse 20 to 23. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of this world... Um, as if you, uh, why? As if you are still living in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human traditions, human precepts and teachings. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Any of you that has ever tried to stop sinning in your own power would know how futile it is most of the time. We all struggle with sin. We all want to be more like Jesus. But there's a thing in Christianity. If asceticism comes into our Christianity, meaning I do it by myself, I punish my body. This is, there's a biblical side of this as well, which I'll get to. But I'm going to do it. God has made it so that you cannot do it. What he wants is to say, Lord, I cannot do it, but you can do it. The steps of maturity, someone said, color from the morning said. Steps of maturity is this, I can, I can't, God can. Those are the steps of maturity. And we need to come to a place of saying, I cannot grow in God. I cannot grow in having good morals or being a better example of Jesus. Until I come to a place of saying, I cannot do it in myself, only God can change me. It's the only way we can do it. We can quickly, if asceticism comes into our Christianity, what Christianity becomes is an outside-in religion and not an inside-out religion. Meaning, I think I can be a better person by changing myself on the inside, and maybe then God will love me more and I'll change on the inside. It's totally different. Christianity says this, God changes us from the inside and that changes our outside. So when I need change, when I'm falling into sin, I run to God and I say, God help change me on the inside. And then my outside follows. It's an inside-out Christianity, not an outside-in. Romans 8 verse 13, B. It says, If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the flesh, of the body, you will live. How do we put down the mis to death the misdeeds of the body? By the Spirit. You cannot put to death the misdeeds of the flesh by the flesh. You do it by the Spirit. I think so many of us have, have made it Christianity plus asceticism. I can do it. 
you fall into sin and you say, oh God, I will never do it again. That was the once of, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'll never do it again. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish myself. That's not the way. It's coming to God, saying, God, by the Spirit, as I walk with you, please cleanse me on the inside. Coming to others, saying, please pray with me that God will change me on the inside so that my outside will change. Okay, that's the core of this thing. Do we fight? Yes, we fight. We fight with our bodies. But I fight with my body to get my body to go to God. <laughs> that's how I fight my body. I beat my body into submission to the place of saying, oh, you need to run to God. You need to put this thing to death by the Spirit and not in your own flesh. And so I'm just going to end by reading this to you. Um, Colossians 1 verse 15. After Paul addresses these things, Christianity plus other things, meaning he addresses self-made religion, which we also fall into many times. Before this actually, this is going to make sense now, what he wants us to know is, it is Christ alone. And so there's this beautiful poem in Colossians 1 that I'm going to read you. And it's a poem, so it won't make much sense now. It was written in a different language and a different culture, so it feels a bit different. It would have been totally different reading it as, um, as a Greek-speaking uh, Christian in the early days. This would have been easier to understand. But I want to actually read it to you and just ask, as I read it, God, won't you let some of these truths sink into our hearts to know that it is Christ alone? What he does here is he magnifies Christ. It's a poem magnifying Christ, saying, you alone. To get to God, I need Jesus alone. I do not need asceticism to get to God. I do not need philosophy to get to God. I only need Jesus. So maybe let's stand and I'll read it to us. He addresses the issues later. But he actually, in a sense, starts with the solution. The solution is having Jesus in his right place. So I'm going to read Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. And I'm just actually going to ask, Lord, not all of this will sink in. The Bible, sometimes you need to read slowly and chew on. But as I read this, won't you just drop nuggets into our hearts of the, the, the big word here is the preeminence of Christ. Our Christ is before every other thing, above every other thing. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Meaning, I'm just going to comment here and there. Meaning, if you've seen the Son, if you read about Jesus, you've seen the Father. He shows us what God is like. He's the firstborn or ruler of all creation. For in Jesus, all things were created. That's the God that we serve. He created everything. Things in heaven and things in earth, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in Jesus... Um, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in Jesus, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Jesus is beautiful. <laughs>
He is the only way to the Father. He died on the cross and he said, all you need to be in right relationship with God, all you need to be close to him, all you need to overcome sin, all you need is Christ. And that is Christianity, not Christ plus any other thing. Let's close our eyes. think anyway you must say but I'm just going to actually pray for us and then if you wanted to call out anything <coughs> maybe just um, while we're closing our eyes this is not a big one but maybe uh, maybe some of you need to go chew on this a little bit more maybe you couldn't see something now and maybe for some of you you've seen now other things has crept into your Christianity just a little bit too much maybe if I can just pray for us can I ask you to raise your hand if something here stood out for you is like oh I think that's me a little bit yeah, a couple of you, a couple of you. So let's just, yeah, just keep our hands raised. Even if you just, if your you can just open it, it's fine. <laughs> just want to pray for us. And then I'm going to hand over to Enray for whatever you feel. Christ, thank you that you are above every other thing. Jesus, thank you that all things hold together in you. Thank you for the beauty of who you are. The fact that you actually came down, you died on a cross for us. The God of the universe comes close to us. You are above all things, but still you are close to us. You are far above and you are just close, close near to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to have a pure Christianity. I pray that you would reveal to us where we are maybe being misled by other things or other things creep into our Christianity that make the water not as you made it to be, that make Christianity not what you destined it to be. pray that you would convict us. Oh God, I pray that you would just allow us to hear your voice when we go in the wrong direction. Thank you that you hold us. You hold us, Lord. And I just pray for each one here, especially the people raising their hands, Lord. Thank you for your grace that says that you are able to hold us. And we want to give ourselves to you. We want to have pure Christianity in the way that you destined it to be. Where we maybe fall into the Colossian heresy or the Stellenbosch heresy or the modern day heresy. Lord, we want only Christ. We want only you. You are the only way to the Father and we want to know you more. Open our eyes to who you are so that we can know you more. Forgive us for tasting and eating of other things. Forgiving, forgive us for mixing in tradition where it should be relationship. Forgive us for thinking we can overcome sin by ourselves and our own strength and are not relying on you and your people. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, and come and make us new. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, God. I really think what the Lord wants to come and do in this next um, month or so is actually bring a lot of clarity in our Christianity. That it won't, that there would be a sense of a decluttering of the amount of information that we receive. And just come back to basics. Yes, we have a very old faith in a sense, and it is. But there's also a simplicity to our faith um, because it's relational. Um, it's not always... Um, that easy but it is simplistic and I want to encourage us even in this time to go through the book of Colossians to read it over and over again and I think as through the weeks to come you you're gonna see oh I read that last week or I'm seeing this is to come and you'll start to formulate the better picture 
Because I was thinking, why, why, do one, why do we want a pure Christianity? Because the scripture says that's the only thing that can set us free in Christ. And secondly, it brings honor and glory to our Father. And we want that. Amen. Bless you guys. Uh, please hang around for the visitors. Those forms, you can hand that in at the coffee stand on the left-hand side. Uh, let's not run off. Uh, meet somebody new. Bless you guys. And then, yeah, see you guys in the week. Cheers. Cheers.